You're listening to the Modern People Leader Podcast. Today's episode will be a part of our People Leader Series, where we go behind the scenes with today's top HR leaders and talk to them about how they've gotten to where they're at and what they really do every day. Our guest today is Amy Lavoie, VP of People Success at Torch. MPL family, stop what you're doing and take five seconds to go subscribe to the MPL Weekly Digest. Every week, we'll share the top three takeaways from the episode along with the full transcript. Just go to the show notes for this episode and click the link to subscribe. And now, without further ado, enjoy the show. Amy, welcome to the show. How you doing? I'm great. Thanks so much for having me. Yeah, yeah. How are these? Uh, I guess last few weeks of of 2022. How are they? Have they been for you? Pretty pretty calm, or do you have a lot going on? Calm and December December do not seem to go well together. <laughs> um, though it's funny, I, I'm always shocked at how fast the month goes by. But then earlier today, I said something to my team and they were like, Amy, you know, today's Tuesday, not Wednesday. Right. And I was like, what? I'm actually contributing to the speed now. I don't know. I don't know what's wrong with me. But. I literally told my daughter Cora on our drive home just now. She was like, what day is it today? And I said, Wednesday. She was like, really? It does no. feel like a Wednesday. So I'm just, yeah, I'm accelerating ahead. I'm ready to get on to the new year personally. Same. All right, let's get into good news stories. So we all go around and share a personal or work-related good news story from the past week or two. Does anybody want to kick us off? I'll kick us off, yeah. I, I'm going to go work this time. So we have a major rewrite of our platform. It's been going on for months. And there's always like a big release that like just completes everything and makes the new code, the new the new product like usable. And that happened literally today, a couple of hours ago. So I'm looking forward to uh, poking around new and improved Workify, but that's been months in the making. So <laughs> kudos to the team for all the hard work, but that's, that's my good news. It's massive. You're going to go yeah, next, Amy? I, I can go. So one thing I've been thinking about a lot lately and just feeling really good about is recently my partner and I have been looking at schools for, we've got two, two little guys and looking at elementary schools. And I have always had a real interest in primary education. My mom was a teacher and a principal still is like 50 years in. I served on a school board. I wrote my dissertation on agility and school systems. Like it's always been something of interest and, and specifically like how school systems generally don't sort of adopt and innovate as fast as other corporations. And it's just been really cool to see some of the things happening in education these days. We've seen schools that are talking about things like every kid feeling like they belong and becoming lifelong learners, trying to create a better world around them and learning through experiences. And it's just been really cool to see how how that innovation is happening and how much it really parallels with the work that I'm trying to do in workplaces to help unlock potential in people. So while we still have a lot of work to do across the whole school system, not every school has access to some of these programs. It just gives me a lot of hope for the future that we're creating more compassionate and, and curious humans to, to lead us in the future. Eat that, Daniel. That's. Uh... <laughs> I thought you were gonna jump in, Stephen. No. <laughs> you were to say something. Yeah, um, no, I mean that is that is literally great news. Yeah. yeah. So good. <laughs> no, yeah, that's awesome news. So usually I go with a work-related good news story, but today I'm gonna make it a little bit more personal. So today or this week is my mom's birthday, and um, we're having a birthday dinner for her tonight. And it's always good to get together with family and, and celebrate. And this Thursday and then Saturday, I'm going to have two holiday parties that I'm going to with friends. So um, it's always it's always nice at the end of the year getting together with with loved ones and, and celebrating. So I'm excited for that. I love that. Keeping it all in perspective. Yeah, for sure. All right, Amy. So give us give us the the quick highlights of, of your career in how that led you to to Torch and becoming the VP of People Success there? 
Yeah, sure. So I've always been really drawn to leadership and why some groups do great things and everyone really feels enriched by their work, whereas other groups seem to feel drained by the work that they're doing. And even as far back as, as choosing my undergraduate school, I literally found a school that had leadership studies as a major, and it was the only one I'd ever seen. And that's where I went. So I've been studying leaders. I spent the first half of my career on in-house HR teams at CEB, which is now Gartner, which also studies leadership and HR best practices. And then I went to grad school to study organizational development. And following that, I pivoted to more consulting roles and HR technology products that really kind of all focused around the science of happiness and success at work. So I did that first through employee surveys at a company called Glint, which uh, was then acquired by LinkedIn. And then my team, which is called People Science, went on to bring um, research and thought leadership and product development to all of the HR products across LinkedIn and Microsoft Viva. And that was really cool. But as the pandemic happened. And I really saw this opportunity, kind of this blank slate, if you will, in the employee experience, I just saw so much innovation happening. I was helping customers with it. I was talking about it and had an opportunity to go work for a company that was really so aligned with my, my mission and values at Torch. And so I, um, I, I pivoted back into lead what we call the people success team. And that was a very intentional title. I think words really matter. And I wanted to really build the team around that science of happiness and success. And so we focus on really integrating those drivers into everything that we do across the employee experience so that we can help our employees thrive and in turn help all of our customers thrive as well. I love that. Um, people success. So Real quick, could you just quickly describe what what Torch does? Like, how would you how would you describe Torch to somebody in your family? Great, um, yes, happy to do that. So, our mission at Torch is to unlock the potential of people, teams, and organizations, and we do that through the power of primarily coaching. But there's lots of other other forms of sort of relationships that we facilitate through our technology. So we're we're kind of giving people more people access to more relationships through coaches and mentors. And that is built on modern behavioral science and in a scalable technology so that leaders can really scale developing their, their employees and creating stronger leaders. And what we really try to do is have a ripple effect across the organization, because when you, when you unlock that potential in one person that will then permeate out into their teams and into the larger functions and then back to customers. And really, I should also mention that it's one of the highest returns that we can get on our investment when we think about investing in people. And we've seen incredible data as we've looked at, at ROI and an impact of the work that we do. So employees who have had a coach through Torch have had 38% higher retention. Managers who have had coaching, they have significantly more engaged teams compared to their uncoached peers. So it's really such a powerful intervention because it's it's so aligned with, I think, what employees look look for today in terms of really personalized experiences that, that can have a huge impact. And why, why should me and Steven be jealous that, that you get to work at Torch? Yeah. Uh, I love this question. Um, well, you know, in addition to being super mission driven and, you know, it's, it's, it's pretty cool because everybody that I work with and I get to meet all of our new hires when they come in and they all have a story about someone who changed their life, you know, whether it was a manager or a coach or a mentor and just being able to do that and bring that to lots and lots of people around the world is, is really inspiring. So we are a fully distributed workforce. We work with a lot of really amazing customers across technology, financial services, healthcare, and, and more. And we have been acknowledged by as a great company to work for by Fortune and built in. So doing great things. But one thing I'll say that I'm really proud of and that we've been working in uh, on the people success team is rolling out something that we call a people success scorecard. And so this is essentially, um, it's essentially built off of the six drivers of happiness and success at work, which are empowerment, clarity, purpose, connection, growth, and well-being. And 
it's that's again based on like what do we universally need as employees to feel happy and successful and employees once a month go in and they fill out a quick scorecard and how are they doing against each of those drivers where do they feel like they have kind of fulfilled their needs and where do they feel like they might be depleted in an area so it's giving us a framework a more robust framework and a shared language to talk about some of the things that that we don't really realize we might need as employees and it allows managers in a monthly one-on-one to talk to their employees about those places where they might be feeling depleted and talk about ways that they can can support them in that area. So that gets to kind of a a much more meaningful connection. And then it also gives my team and leaders some data to really understand the health of our our organization and be able to track that on a regular basis, the same way that we're tracking other, other business data. And then alongside that, based on the areas where people might need to invest more in their happiness and success, we have just rolled out what we're calling UpDays, which is UP stands for Unlocking Potential, which is our our mission is around Unlocking Potential. So UpDays are every Friday, and it's a meeting-free day that employees can use to direct their energy in the area that they need it the most. And so under each driver of happiness and success, we have different ideas of ways that they can improve, for example, their clarity into the customer experience. So they might spend some time listening to customer calls or studying some of our resources available on the customer team because they're an engineer and they don't totally understand how their work is is connected to the customer experience. Or it might mean that they need to catch up on some information sharing through recordings or pre-reads. That, that we're working on through asynchronous collaboration uh, to improve their empowerment score, or if they're really low on well-being, they can spend some time just unplugging, you know, meditating, taking a walk, maybe volunteering at their kid's school, you know, whatever the thing is that that person needs, it is their day to invest in the things that they need to feel happiest and most successful at Torch. Yeah, that's something that we've heard from, I guess, several guests in the last few months, I think a lot more people are uh, open to the idea of giving their employees up days, recharge days, whatever they want to call it. And I love that idea. So I'm curious for the for the six elements, how did how did you choose? How did y'all go about choosing those six elements of happiness? Mm-hmm. Yeah, so those are actually based on some statistical factors, mostly from employee sentiment data. So across millions of data points on the survey side, and this was part of the research that I did when I was with LinkedIn and and Glint, we looked at what has the biggest impact on employees' happiness at work, their willingness to stay, their willingness to recommend the company to, to friends and family. What are all the things that make people like, love their job and then clustered those things into these factors, these six factors that are largely universally applicable we have different thresholds for each one as an individual. So we kind of each have a unique engagement DNA, but across almost everyone, they need to have, they can't have an empty bucket in any of these areas. And so it's it's, it's based on some, some strong science. And I will say that science has evolved over the years and especially over the pandemic where there's some things that people are actually paying a lot more attention to than they they used to, like connection to colleagues and purpose and well-being. What makes it so exciting right now to be doing the work that we're doing as people leaders and just talking to you and hearing what you guys are working on it's just really impressive and and to be able to to have all of these conversations that Daniel and I get to have and talk about the 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 principles and the tools that are being adopted and and now flex right cuz you're taking the same drivers but you're probably, we're looking at a different mix today than even like three months ago, six months ago. Definitely it's a different mix of, you know, the, what, what, if my scorecard, I guarantee would look very different today than it did, you know, a year ago, two years ago. And so, uh, I love what you guys are doing and are you using the torch platform or is this a tool that you guys have just like developed within the people success team? 
Yeah. So we do use the torch platform for a lot of things. We really try to drink our own champagne in the power of coaching. This we're actually using lattice, which are you, are you all familiar with lattice? Of course. Yeah. It's a great, it's a great tool. I love it because we use it a lot for just one-on-ones and sometimes we'll integrate, you know, kind of a company-wide question to get into one-on-ones. Um, and this is part of their performance module, but we've kind of hacked it to make it, um, to make it work for, for these purposes. And, um, yeah, it's a, it's a great product, great, great customer service team. And we're excited to see, to see how it works. Well, thanks for allowing us to geek out on HR tech stack and, you know, what, what's emerging, you know, as we, I don't know about you guys, but as, as I I get closer to the end of the year, I get in a reflective mood and, you know, I think what where I want to start today, Amy, with our kind of core discussion is just a reflection, a quick look back. Um, you know, I'm curious, what was the biggest surprise in 2022 from a people perspective for you? 2022 has been a year. Sure has. Um, I'll give you a minute, a second. <laughs> this is a curveball question. So this wasn't on our, yeah. on our list, our normal list. Yeah, it's a great, it's a great question. Um, you know, I think I will say, you know, it's been, it's been a year started off, you know, for us with like extreme growth and then, um, kind of tapered as the economy was evolving, we'll say. And one of the big surprises for me, which I shouldn't be surprised about is just, it's just that the resilience of employees and their willingness to do hard things. I really try to be, to stand for leading with transparency, you know, treating our employees as adults, trusting them to have information and to act as a steward and an owner of the business. And at the same time, my like maternal instincts take over and I want to protect, I want to protect, protect them from anything that, that feels hard. And we continuously kind of came back to those values of transparency and trust. And it's incredible how, as we went through hard things, people were saying, thank you. And like, I, I know you just told me something hard, but it was actually like, I just so appreciate the transparency and I really trust you because you trust us. And it, it's just, it's just really incredible. The resilience of the human spirit and that when you do treat people like humans, that they tend to be in it with you when things are hard versus this sort of like employee employer clash that you often, often hear about. Yeah, unfortunately, all we we hear about that more, right? Yeah. In this kind of world of sensational like social mm-hmm. media and the way we consume news, it's like all we hear about are the terrible stories that are that are going on out there versus, you know, the the instances and the, the organizations that are that are instilling trust and transparency right now. And um before I get ahead of myself, I'm just going to go straight to my next question and and then we can have a bit of a chat. So you know, specific to the people space, what do you think looking forward now, what do you think will be the biggest challenge for us in 2023? Biggest challenge. Um, You know, I think that we are, I'm I'm anticipating, you know, if if anybody's waiting for the change to slow down, it's probably a false wait. It is, it's just going to keep, it's going to keep going at this pace. And I think we really need to figure out how to, you know, really get clear on the things that aren't changing. And I think that's a huge change management strategy and important thing for every organization to do is to really understand their organizational identity. What are the values? What's the mission? What are the things that actually will not change as all of the world around us changes and, and make sure that we are kind of creating that stability in the organization, which I think has a huge impact on employees' ability to weather the storm and to be resilient as, as things change. That's one that I'm thinking a lot about. And another one I'm thinking about and actually I was thinking about this related to the the magic wand if I could if I could wave a magic wand is I have one of the things I've really struggled to to the nut I've struggled to crack and my CEO and I talk about this all the time is you know what's the right 
what's the right level of dialogue to have in your organization about the things that are happening kind of outside of work. And I put that in quotation marks because I think the sort of traditional old school assumptions are that there's all these topics that you don't talk about in the workplace. But when you think about it, that was really, a lot of those norms were established by one type of person who the system was built for. And, and there wasn't a whole lot controversy to talk about when so much of your lives were were pretty similar and had similar paths. And I just, I'm, I'm struggling to figure out the sweet spot of how much we sort of bring and we, you know, all organizations like exist within a, a society and a community. And, and I don't think that we can say this is on limits and this is off limits, because if we want to truly bring our whole selves to work, we are so much more than just our title and our zoom screen, you know, we are, we have all these different things that could impact our ability to do our work. And I know I'm just struggling to find like, what's the right, uh, what's the right, right way to invite that dialogue in, do it in a constructive way, getting comfortable with the uncomfortable, because you're always going to have some people that, that, that don't want to engage and how do you, you know, kind of create the space, but not push people into it. I would love to see us like figure that out in 2023. I think we're just going to keep it. We could try to run and hide, but like yeah. we're going to keep getting, getting hit with, with, with this. And I think our, my employees push me on it. And I love that. I love that. I love that, that employees are saying like, Nope, we gotta, we gotta do more. We gotta do it differently. And I hope that, you know, we can all together figure it out. Yeah. Can I you don't imagine, can you imagine how confused meta employees are this week just on this topic alone we we literally support a platform that is was created to connect people and to communicate about things that are happening in the world but yet in in at, at work you know inside shop we can't talk about these things <laughs> i would be i would be very confused right now yeah it's really confusing it is um and it's such a great problem to have. Like, I yeah. really, I try to just focus on that. Like this yeah, is, yeah, yeah. we are, we are coming to a place where, where we are all going to be, but, you know, I, I look at that, the fact that a lot of our community is in the workplace, you know, and I, the virtual, whether that's virtual or not, like the people you're spending the most time with are your coworkers. And if we want to try to create a world where we all understand each other better, like we've got to be able to figure that out in, in our workplace, because otherwise we're all kind of going into our own corners in the rest of our life and just sticking, you know, sticking with the same, the same people who think the same way and work actually can be a place just like school where you can expand your, your horizon and, and we can push each other's thinking and we can show more compassion to one another. And, and I think it's, I think it's a, a really great thing to figure out and I'm excited for, for us to do it. Yeah, we've had several episodes where the main topic was Gen Z and how Gen Z and millennials and I guess anybody coming into the workplace in the future have higher expectations for their organization and on on creating, you know, room for dialogue on these things. And I can't remember who we had on. I think it was I think it was Beth Steinberg from from Chime. And she talked about how they created a framework on the leadership team for how to how to talk to their people about these things, both internally and externally. And I think that they, I, I can't remember exactly what she said, but I think that they talked about like the things that they would and wouldn't touch, like what this, the types of things that they would feel comfortable talking about with their employees. But, but like you said, this is a, it's tricky. There's no right way of going about it. And I feel like companies for the most part haven't had to deal with this in the past because it was looked at in the past as like, if it's happening outside of work, then we're not going to talk about it at work. And now I feel like it's flipped. Mm -hmm. Yeah. I'm going to go back and listen to that episode. I have not listened to it yet, but I will take all of the, all of the help I can get. <laughs> oh yeah. It's a good one. It's a good one. And so Earlier, Amy, you said something that was really interesting. You said that we really need to figure out how to get clear on the things that aren't changing. And there's a huge change management strategy that needs to go along with that. 
And, you know, leading an engagement measurement company, I think a lot about measurement and it's extremely important to me and, and everything we do, but I also being in the engagement measurement company, I see, and I'm going to steal a, a friend of mine's line. I see so many companies that are data rich and insights poor. And I'm just curious, in, in HR, do you think that we are making progress in terms of measuring the impact and effectiveness of our programs? Oh, I love this topic. Um, okay, you guys have to cut me off if I start nerding out too much, but it is, it's such an important one. And that sweet spot is really... It's hard. It's hard to get to, and um, you know, I should share. I, I, I spent a lot of my career with organizational psychologists, with um, with some just brilliant minds in the in the experience and measurement space. And when you're swimming in data, it is just it's just so fun and it's so exciting. But <laughs> it's also easy to forget that you know, like the, so what of the analysis. And I always really try to think about attention management of our leaders and executives. And it's like, what is just the right amount of insight and data in order to make the right decision to move us forward versus what I've seen so many times when we're looking at like surveys and employee data, which is that we present the data. And then the only thing that comes out of all the actions that come out of that are requests for more data. Well, I mean, I love data. It's so important that we can quantify the employee experience because I think it does help us to have that conversation at the leadership table, but we're kind of missing the point. In, and, and, and some of it is that it's easier for an executive around the around the C-suite to say, I want to see more data than it is for them to, to change. And so we need to figure out how to kind of give them just enough, but not so much that they are almost paralyzed by it because it's very easy to do this hard stuff and and quantifying humans is hard. So there will always be ways to poke holes in the data and to to want to see more cuts, but you're never going to get that perfect and so it's 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 really about spurring the conversation but the real act the real magic happens when you can like use that data as a starting point versus that like the whole point is the data. And so I think that's really really important and I will say too that is not, you know, it's simple is not easy or it is very, it is a lot, it takes a lot of work to get to clear and simple data that you can present to executives. You often have to mine through a lot of it to kind of get to that point where you can get that really crisp story. So I've seen it happen, but I definitely think we have a lot more room to grow. And part of it is that we're sort of becoming victim to what our leaders are asking us for instead of owning the data and owning the narrative and owning the recommendation. And, and that balance can be tricky because look, they're engaging with us. So like, we're excited about that. Yeah. No, and I've seen the opposite. So I've definitely seen, you know, what, what, what you're describing that vicious cycle of you give data, great insight. And it's like, Oh no, 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 we need to look at it, you know, in all these different ways. And it's mm-hmm. just, it feels like, a slow beat down to the point, uh, you know, to the point of inaction. Like ugh, mm-hmm. we throw, we we give up. Like we can't, we shouldn't send any more information. Which kind of gets to the other, the other uh, extreme opposite that I've seen, which is HR concluding within kind of their own within the people function what you should be shared and what shouldn't be shared. So like, oh yeah, yeah, yeah. Our leaders don't need to see this. We're just going to be getting them too, too far into the weeds on this. And so I've seen an over-rotation also in the people space by people leaders, mm-hmm. um, which I have to, I, I guess, I don't know what drives that fear or, um, you know, I, who knows, but I yeah. think I, I'm just really agreeing with the point you made around that being a really fine balance of, yep. of not, holding the data captive and mm-hmm. having our own bias, applying our own bias to that data and what we share and don't share. And then, you know, the opposite of that, which is oversharing information that that may lead to, um, you know, not getting the end results that we want, which is change or yeah. at least movement in a better direction. Yeah. Whatever totally. that may be. It's so true. And I always think about how 
the indirect signal that we're sending when we hold the data captive, when we take weeks and weeks to analyze it before we show it to anybody, um, we are sending the signal that this is HR's data and not the leader's data. And that like the impact of that trickles down. And then we wonder, why do I have to keep reminding leaders to do this thing? Why do people not, aren't, are people not taking ownership of this? And, and so it's, you know, that, that balance is important. You know, I think really great and simple tools that make it easy for leaders to get in there and play with the data themselves. And, you know, I, I always say that as soon as a survey closes, you release the, the, the data to managers and leaders at the same time that you look at it yourself in HR. And that is terrifying to a lot of people leaders, but that signal alone it just, it, it totally changes the accountability and ownership that people feel towards, towards the step. And I would rather someone dig in too much than, you know, not feel ownership over it. You know, we can always, we can always refocus them, but I think the the real challenge is that we need our tools to facilitate that. And just because your people analytics team has asked to slice the data 4,500 different ways does not mean that your, you know, your CFO or CTO or, you know, head of product design needs to do that. And so knowing the difference from an HR technology perspective on your customer who is the buyer and leading the program and your customer who is the leader is really important. Love it. And I'm just curious, looking into another trend, just hearing you talk made me think of um, of another potential issue going into the new year, which is changing your listening strategy because of the so socioeconomic situation or socioeconomic just straight up economic situation and so i'm i'm curious what are your thoughts on like how people teams should like manage that dynamic as well knowing that people are burnt out already there's more uncertainty our resilience is being challenged that we talked about earlier you know how what is that right level of engaging people for for information for feedback and uh in kind of where we're at yeah yeah i love that question it's the age old survey fatigue myth that we so often hear people say like oh i can't ask for feedback right now because people are too tired People are too busy. People are too distracted. And I want to bother them with that. Well, that to me, that's a design flaw, like not a truth in terms of humans. I find, you know, I always think about the way people show up on their first day of work at a new job. It's like, they are so proud to work for this company. They are, they have put so much effort into making this decision. They feel like this, they feel purpose. They feel like they're going to grow. They are so excited to help build this organization. And then somehow in most organizations, we used to sort of chip away at that, you know, across the next several months and years. And so, you know, I have found that engaged employees are pretty dang excited to give feedback. And our job is to make it as simple as possible for them to give it, to make it really short and sweet, to, to help them to see that we're listening on a regular basis and to realize that I, you know, I think when we go through our hardest times, it's the perfect time to ask for feedback because it's giving you information about how you can better support people through that change. And so when you think of like my success equals my score versus my score is a mechanism to help me be more successful. Like those are two very different things. And I see, I see so often as an executive too, not just HR leaders are like, oh, we couldn't possibly ask a survey right now because we just announced that thing. And we don't want to hear what people say. That's kind of missing the point of why we get feedback. You know, feedback is not, does not define us. Feedback helps us to continuously improve. So I think that's important is just keep it short, keep it sweet and keep it frequent and, and also build a habit around it. I think habit formation is so important with HR programs. And sometimes that means it's a little uncomfortable when you got started because people are like, wait, didn't I just do this? Didn't I just give you feedback last month? And it's like, well, yeah, you did. But six months down the road, it will take you three minutes to complete this survey. You won't even think about it. You'll know that it's valuable and we will get a much better sense of what's happening in the organization. And the other thing I would just add is that like, you know, feedback come, can come from so many different places. And I would say one of, I think the most under leveraged interventions is the skip level. Like it is like having, you know, the second level leader meet with people that are one level, two levels below them. It's unbelievable how much 
insight that can unlock. And it's like, it, it, it doesn't happen nearly as often as you would think, given how powerful and simple it is, but you know, more simple, more just more conversations can, can, can give us so much incredible feedback. And so supplementing that with surveys is important. I agree. You you mentioned it earlier, the trust component of like, what's important, like as we work through ongoing uncertainty, continued change. And I agree. I think that this is the norm now. I think change on change on change, this is just going to be the, um, you know, just kind of par for the course. Um, and, and so when, when looking at that, you know, it's like, you have to ask yourself, like, how are we going to build trust with our people? And it's such a simple way, you know, whether it's through conversations, through a survey, like just, you know, people assume when I, when I, we, when I talk to, when I speak to this, that I'm making the, you know, determination that it needs to be through a survey or through a technology. I, I love the, the skip level idea and just having conversations because the power of those, especially the small group, like the fireside chat type of conversation, you can get so much invaluable information through that. But to me, it's these are the sorts of things that if I were leading a company that was going through a lot of change that I would be, uh, you know, I would be super open to um, just given the, you know, what I'm going to get back. Mm -hmm. So I love that. Yeah. And I, I just want to add to that, like the measurement part is so important. You know, we're seeing some of the research that we just, we just completed was looking at, at the effectiveness of DEI and leadership and time and time again, we were seeing that executives think that they're doing better on DEI efforts than managers are. And by the way, male executives think that their company is doing better on DEI efforts than female managers are. And it's just one of those things where you have have to measure it in order for us to truly understand it and to be working from the same truth. Otherwise, when we're talking about human experiences, it's so easy to introduce lots of bias and your own experiences and interpretations. And so I think that is, you know, the measurement thing is just so critical for the future of work in this space so that we can make sure that we are all operating from the same place and motivated to improve it and not just kind of relying on our gut, which you just, you hear so often in leadership teams. Yeah. So I guess speaking of the DEI research that y'all recently did, how do you how do you think we're closing out the year from a DEI standpoint? I, I feel like this has been such a hot topic the last couple of years, especially 2021 and beginning of 2022. So just curious, how do you where do you think we're uh, like where do we stand with DEI right now? You know, I do think I'm grateful for the last couple of years and the increased focus on it. I was really nervous as like you know the economic situation started to change that some of that work would be deprioritized. And I think we're seeing it happen in pockets of, of organizations or in some, in, in some organizations, it's not coming up quite as often as what we had heard before, but the best organizations haven't lost sight of it. And I think the reason is because their employees aren't letting them, which again, I, I, I love that kind of, you know, that kind of bottom up pressure and kind of democratization of where we need to focus because it will let you know one way or the other, or they will walk. And that is one way to learn. And so I'm still seeing it as a significant focus. I think the the thing that has become so apparent, and in some ways this this feels obvious, but in other ways it doesn't, is that we can no longer we can no longer rely on these one size fits all programs to impact or have a meaningful impact on DEI. So, you know, most of, of my career, you know, DEI, DNI, DEIB, whatever, whatever version of it, it was, it was, it was, you bring everybody into a classroom and you talk about some stuff and you get some frameworks and it's not that the, con the content was good, but it's one size fits all and it's great in the moment. And then I think the latest stat I saw was that within 30 days after a training class that people lose 90% of the content that they learned. So the retention is just, is just very poor. And the other thing is that like the irony to me is that we've been using one size fits all training to combat diversity, which is like 
Like we are unique people and we need to embrace that diversity, but yet we're just, we're hitting it all with the same hammer. And so I think the the more personalized, and this came out in our research as well, that HR leaders are saying, we, we recognize that the more personalized development is the name of the game. So whether that be on the job coaching or on the job training, mentoring, coaching, it is the like real personalization. It's just like what I get when I turn on Netflix and when I pull up my Amazon app, I am a unique person and I have my own struggles and aspirations and life events that impact what I need. And so I want to have someone who I can talk through those things who can kind of see me as a human. And I think that's really going to be where we start to turn the dial more and more in 2023 with the DEI stuff, whether that is helping everyone to bring some of, of, of the, you know, inclusion best practices into their work, whether it's supporting people from underrepresented groups and helping them to get the feedback and career development support that they need, because very often that's why people leave is because they're not getting direct enough feedback and don't understand their path, the organization, because we tend to soften our feedback for people that aren't like us. And so you have all of these things that are contributing to this issue. And I think that employees, employers are really starting to see that they can't go with the like, let me develop one training and give it to 3000 people. I've really got to start hitting this at the individual level. Yeah. And we actually have a guest coming on, I think in a month or two, and she's going to talk a lot about this. And one thing that she mentioned when we had our prep call with her was that companies also need to think about how they're personalizing DEI to the business outcomes. Mm -hmm. um, how, how can you tie everything you're doing in DEI to uh whatever it is that your your business is trying to achieve for the next quarter or year. So I think that's something that that I think companies should should also consider. Um do you do you think that a 2023 recession impacts the progress that's been been made or do you think that you think that you know companies will continue to focus on this like it'll be even more of a focus going into an uncertain environment. You know, I think um as I mentioned before, I'm just not sure it's negotiable at this point. I don't know if I can say with confidence that it's going to have even more of a focus because, um, you know, just unfortunately, it it seems like a lot of of organizations are cutting back on on people investments, and that is that is yeah. I I do think that we have come out of this pandemic much more focused on people I shouldn't say come out of, or, you know, on, on the, on the other side of, of a really hard couple of years, much more focused on this, but you know, what we've been trying to do in the people space, as you all know, is like, start to really kind of change the way that we do things. You know, it's no longer, here's our DEI initiative for 2020, for Q1, you know, it is how do we embed inclusion into our product development, into our marketing, into our, into the way that we talk to each other. A big thing that I am super passionate about is just like the power of storytelling. So we brought our, um, all of our employees to our first retreat in three years because all the other ones had gotten canceled due to COVID. And we focused the whole time we were in person on just like meaningful personal connection. So we facilitated storytelling. We talked about life scenes, like what was a time in your life, a high point in your life? What was a low point? What was a turning point? And we got into small groups and we would talk about that like the whole point was just to see each other as humans. And once you see each other as humans, a lot, it, that foundation helps a lot other of other DEI initiatives to stick because it's so easy to, you know, show up at the training and think it's not for me or think that I'm the bad guy or think that I already know all the stuff or whatever the things are. But when you start to see the person on the other end of that, of that screen and, and you know them and you know more about their life story, I just think that is an, you know, an, another under leveraged intervention that can have a huge impact on us feeling like we, we belong and helping us to, to make progress. So that work is not going to be undone. Like that work self-perpetuates and becomes a ripple effect. And so I think there's a lot of things that we've done the last, um, you know, this, this past year and the last couple of years that we can only really build on because we have more compassionate and aware employees. And that just, that just goes on. But I think there's, 
more to do. And I think there's more opportunities to push organizations on this front. Yeah. What I love about that example is I feel like the the friction in a kind of down market where budgets are tight mm-hmm. is, you know, the is going to be with the personalization. Because I think to a lot of people, a lot of people can think, oh, that means customization, which is not scalable and yada, 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 right? You know, not approved. And for, you know, the example that you just shared, like there's actually, there are ways that we can do this that won't result in like huge costs of the business. We just, you know, have to like just apply a little more thought development in how we can approach these conversations in a way that, you know, will be meaningful for everyone and not just a two minute breakout to talk about, you know, a question that was written, you know, as part of a curriculum, um, but have like real conversations about this and that will be lasting and will have the ripple effects. And, you know, it, it doesn't have to be over the top, you know, personalized. It can be very simple solutions, but I do think that in times like this, I there there's there are fears with I, there could be fears with, oh, if we personalize this more, like it's just going to cost more, or we're not going to be able to get you know enough bang for the buck type of thing. Mm-hmm. Yeah, totally. And I think too, you know, we we so often miss all of the expertise and goodness that's already sitting within our organization. And I just think there's so much power in unlocking that at the team level. If you can, if you can build, I love the concept of a culture of coaching where we have kind of a shared framework of like how we ask questions and get to know people and assume positive intent and lead with curiosity and create an openness to, to feedback and empathy and accountability. Like all of these things are really underpin the the power of personalization and a lot of what coaching is. And so it doesn't necessarily mean that it all has to be outsourced. Like you can, you can invest in the frameworks, you can invest in starting at the top with leaders and starting to then let that trickle down with key talent, with people that are a part of a program. And then you are enabling them to bring that back to their teams. I mean, an incredible, an incredible act of belonging is, is, is having a, you know, a real conversation at the beginning of a team meeting and like, you know, talking about something that is hard or talking about something that is happening at home. It, it, like there are just so many, like you said, low cost ways that already exist within our workforce that can help us get to know each other. And there's just a lot of experts out there. We have what we call iLab, which is our inclusive leadership advisory board. And it's made of employees from around the business, different levels, different functions who are really passionate about inclusion. And these these folks teach me every time we meet and they are, um, they feel ownership for inclusion at our company. They are, they're making all of us better and they're holding us accountable to it. And I think that those are important to, to, to kind of pair with the more formal personalizations. Yeah. I think, uh, simply by having conversations, they can do a lot and I'll tell a quick anecdote. So my wife, Tori, she works for a company called Toyota Connected and it's like 90% engineers. So mm-hmm. they decided they were going to do a women in tech panel. So they chose Herb and I think, you know, three or four other women from the team to just talk about what it's like being a woman in tech. So I think Tori referenced a book that she was recently reading called Pay Up. And by mentioning that on the tech panel, days later in her one-on-one with her boss, who's a man, he, he brought up Pay Up. He read the book in a week and then in, the, in their next one-on-one, he was basically telling her how shocked he was by everything that he learned from the book. And essentially the gist of the book is it's really hard for for working moms. And I, I feel like that story is so common. And I know that I know that you found some discrepancies in, you know, between how men and women perceive the progress on DEI initiatives. So can you can you share a little bit about that? Yeah, yeah. So essentially what we found in our research and we we surveyed about 500 HR leaders and they found that when asking 
leaders, whether they thought the company had achieved their DEI goals, that first of all, executives were more positive about the um, what had been achieved than managers were at lower levels. And second, that male leaders were more likely to say that we had achieved our DEI goals than female leaders. So, you know, one that might be that about measurement and about the fact that we're, we don't have enough data to like really inform people's perceptions, but also when you might be in a place of privilege in an organization, it's hard to really know how you're doing. Cause you, what, from what you see, oh, we're making these progress. We've had these conversations, but what does that really feel like at the ground level? How do, how do we bridge that gap? The perception gap? Yeah, I mean, you know, back to the measurement conversation that I know Stephen and I could uh, could go on and on about. Um, it is, you know, getting employee perceptions on whether or not they feel like they belong at an organization, whether or not they feel like inclusion is is prioritized. Cutting that data by different groups so that you can see, because if because because that data can be really misleading if you have a largely homogeneous population, and so you have to really dig into it and look at how our experience is different for men versus women, people of color, people of different backgrounds, different sexuality, all of that is is part of what what really informs how we're doing and how much further we need to go. And I will say too that one of the things that kind of is an irk for me, Stephen, I'm curious about your your um, thoughts on this too, is an over-reliance on benchmark data, I think by a lot of executives who will say, oh, I've but heard like- Stephen say we- this so many times. Oh, <laughs> Yeah. How are we doing relative to our peers? Well, just because our peers suck does not mean that it's okay for us to suck too. Like that is just, you know, not an excuse. And so I think it's, it's also like letting go of the way that that we're used to looking at data in some ways, because it's, it's, and also looking at the data as like, you cannot encapsulate someone's whole being by one classification out of question that they filled out or a group that they, that they fit into. And so it's, you know, it's starting to measure it, but then making sure that we're really talking about, about the full experience and how we can improve that and make sure that we're engaging. You've got to also have the right people at the table when you have the conversation. I always like to think about and ask this question to leadership teams, like who's not here as we go in to look at this data who's not at the table that, that, and let's pull up a chair for them. You know, we might not need to go change the invite list or invite them into the room, but let's be really aware and look at the fact that there is a seat that is open of some, someone that is going to think about things differently than the other people around the table. Ooh, I love that. I, uh, I love having that, that level of candor and, uh, and really challenging, you know, the way that people are thinking and, I unfortunately I'm gonna censor myself and not answer that question, Amy, about benchmarking because I could go on for another 30 minutes about that alone. And unfortunately, we uh, we're at that point in the conversation. We've got to uh, we're, we we got to turn the corner to to wrap things up, and we do that using our rapid fire questions. The same set of questions. Uh, you've already technically answered one, uh, so we can we uh, I'm still gonna hit it, but. Um, the first question is, how do you define a modern people leader? What are the traits and characteristics? Okay, I'll try to give you this my speed version of this. I think about it all the time. Um, I think the modern people leader is thinks and truly believes that people are inherently good and driven to do great work and that our job is to design programs that make it as easy as possible for them to do that great work. Um, so often you just see people leaders, it's like they come up with a great idea and then they start thinking of what do we do to make sure that people don't take advantage of this? What do we do? They think about who are the people that aren't going to buy in? Who are the people that are going to, um, that are going to exploit it? And I just think that is such, that is when you do that, you design programs that make everyone roll their eyes and that inspire no one. So instead, I always say, like, think about the the, the top 20%, think about the like 80% majority, design something great for them, and then they will use it and love it. And then they talk about it. And then organic demand, you know, comes from those naysayers. And I would so much rather take a long path to get to that point of adoption than turn it into a compliance officer 
doctor um, intervention where we just have to go and like knock on everyone's door and remind them to take their thing or to complete their form or whatever that that is. So I think the modern people leader is really thinking, using design thinking and trying to make things as simple as possible for our employees to, to do, to do the right thing. Love it. Love it. If next question, if you could go back in time and talk to a 22 year old, Amy, what career advice would you give yourself and why? Um, I would probably go with just, you don't need a plan. You know, I, I don't know if there's been so many great podcasts like Adam Grant and others that have talked about this whole, like we spend all, we grow up with everyone asking us, what do you want to do when you grow up? And we think that we're supposed to know that. And I still don't know what I want to do when I grow up. And I was pretty ashamed of that when I was an undergrad and, you know, kept thinking that that was like, that was a sign of success was if you had a plan. And I actually think that we need to totally flip that on its head. I say, you know, Stick with people who teach you and who energize you and people who see your greatness. Um, stick with opportunities that keep you learning and the rest kind of takes care of itself and it's, it's a lot more fun. And and um, I'm not going to use the word linear because I notice almost every um, guest on your show says my career was not exactly linear, but that's the way careers happen these days. Um, so I think letting go of the plan and focusing more on, on learning. Okay, so my last question that you partially answered earlier, I'll let you expand on it or choose something else. If you could fix any HR people problem with a magic wand, what would it be and why? All right, I'm going to pick another one because I I really do, you know, the, the one that I mentioned earlier about really figuring out the the right way to bring our lives into work is, is still a big one. Um, I will say I spent a lot of time in compensation this last year. And if I could just wave a magic wand and throw out all compensation benchmark data, I would probably do that. I mean, I love data. You know, this, I have, a, I have a love hate relationship with data, Steven. I like, I have now- <laughs> me too, me too. I love it. I think it's super powerful, but I also think that we, the more we have, the more we sort of forget about what the right thing to do is. And the reality is that benchmark compensation, benchmark data is heavily biased. It is, you know, very dependent on the type of people that are in certain roles. Um, we know in our society that we don't tend to value, um, roles that are are big on care. Um, you know, the care economy is just not as valued. And so we've sort of like, we keep perpetuating this trend by continuing to look at benchmark data that's going to always overcompensate or, or, or put more value in roles that are, you know, technical and financial and put less value in roles that are taking care of people. And so as I've spent time on that, I have just wished that like we could start fresh and really, you know, come down to like, what is the true value that this role brings to our organization and not um, what is the decades of data that uh, of biased data that should tell us how much to pay people. Preach. All right. So two last questions, who should we bring on to the show next? Is there, is there any one or two people that, that you think uh, that you'd want to nominate? First of all, I just want to say I have loved listening to your podcast. I feel so energized and excited about the future of the people space based on the folks that you guys have brought on. I've like learned something, sent a nugget to someone. It, it, it's just, it's great. I'll add Kat Steinmetz to the, to the list. So Kat is actually the, a former HR executive from Dropbox and Stitch Fix. She's actually on our board and I recently met her. She's one of the investors. So she's now a principal investor for one of our um, investors at Torch. And I love meeting with her. She has an incredible amount of energy. And the thing that I've learned the most from her and what I think more of us need to learn is how to make the business case for people programs. She has a really great perspective on, on how to, you know, partner with the CFO, how to make, how to make the case and how to ensure that, um, that, that leaders can see our HR programs as an investment and not a cost. Um, or at least she, she seems to do it better than a lot of us do. So, um, I think she's awesome. I've learned so much from her and I think more and more people can learn from her. Yeah, I think that our, our listeners would get a lot out of that conversation. So we're definitely going to have to bring her on. All right. So one word or phrase close. So we all go around and respond with a word or phrase from the episode that we want to close with. And it looks like Steven, I I, I think I'm, he already ready. has one. I'm I'm ready. I'm going to go with energize because you, you, I, whatever this, this effect that cat 
that you that Kat has on you, Amy, I like you have on me. You're awesome. Like I just feel so energized from this conversation, and uh, you know they're all great. But uh, but man, I'm leaving this one like feeling feeling really good about the future and excited and energized. So thank you. I'll go with data. I feel like that was the the common thread throughout the conversation. So that's my one word. I love it. I was thinking about both of those. Um, <laughs> I'm going to go with onward and upward. Um, I, you know, you have some great questions about the future and um, I think we just need to keep looking, looking up. I, I, I love the word up. It's an acronym for us with unlocking potential, um, but it's like up leveling and, and it's also up to each of us to figure out what works for, for work. And so I think upward is, um, is a big theme for me right now. And I just appreciate you guys giving me a chance to, to talk about and get excited about the future. Onward and upward. That's I think that's the it's a great way to close out our show. Well, Amy, thank you so much for for joining us. It's a lot of fun, and um, who knows? Maybe we'll we'll bring you back one day if you if you if you'll, if you'll, come, so. if you'll join I us. I hope so. <laughs> I would love that. This was super fun. Thank you guys so much. Great questions, and just for creating this platform for us to all keep challenging each other to do better. Thank you. Well, thank you. We had a lot of fun. Right. Bye, guys. Bye. 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 Thanks for, for tuning in to another episode of The Modern People Leader. We, we really, really appreciate it. And if you enjoyed the show, please leave us a five-star rating. It would mean the world to us. And connect with us on LinkedIn. We want to we wanna know what you think about the show. And uh, yeah, you can, you can find links to both of our profiles in the show notes. So thanks again for listening and, and see you on the next episode.